Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Um, uh, Mike, check. Check. No, you check guys are one, supposed two. to say yeah because I'm checking to see if you're on the thing. Uh, Mike, 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 check. Mike, uh, check. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good humor is lost sometimes. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 30 of the Movement Docs podcast. Mike, can you believe it? We're 30 episodes in at this point. That's pretty crazy. I cannot believe that. Like. I mean, like, it was pretty cool when we had double digits, but, like, now that it, it's, like, well, it's not triple digits, but there's a three in front of it. It's, it's like, more surreal. It's like the odometer is slowly ticking up. Um, anyways, today we have a special mm-hmm. guest, Michael Amato. Um, Michael is a physical therapist who graduated from Boston University in 2013 with his DPT after receiving his bachelor's in athletic training in 2011. What up, AT? Ooh. He's worked in a variety of <laughs> settings from hospital-based outpatient to a private gym and has recently accepted a position as physical therapist and director of clinical education at Boston PT and Wellness. Congrats, man. That sounds like an awesome place. You're going to be with a lot of cool people. Thank Shout you. out to, to Zach and Steph. Uh, he's enjoyed working with all types of patients, <laughs> valuing education and strength training, both in and outside of the clinic and helping people move forward and get the most out of life. Michael, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on, man. Thank you, guys. It's an honor. Excited to be here. So, Mike, uh, what are we we talking about today? Well, I think we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, We're going to get into a little bit of Michael's background, kind of get a little bit more information about who he is, what he's all about. We're going to talk about pain science. We're going to talk about the science of pain. We're going to talk about skein pints or skein pence. Are we using the French <laughs> or the German pronunciation? <laughs> I think if we go, if it's more of the French route, it'd be more like uh, skein pions. I think the pions. It's got to have the <laughs> like the, some sort of a. Go <laughs> home. I like it. I, the only thing I know how to kind of say in French <laughs> is "oui je suis maison," which means "yes, oh. I am a doctor." Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. That's the only thing I've learned how to say. <laughs> I don't. Oh, wow. I don't know when that's ever going to come in handy, unless I want to pre- like pretend to be like an MD somewhere in either France or Canada. It'll get you far. <laughs> and then the only wow. two, so oh, speaking of getting you far places, when I was young, my father, one of the big lessons my father taught me as a boy was when I was trying to grow, get my way through like seventh and eighth grade Spanish. And he told me, son, I'm not worried if you don't remember all the words, but if you get lost in the middle of South America, there's two phrases you should know. One was donde es el baño, which for my Gringo friends is where is the bathroom. And the other one was yo no tengo la menor idea, which is I don't have the slightest idea. He said, son, with those two phrases, you'll be able to not die in any South American country. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> good advice. Yeah. It's, I've lived by it. Um, yeah. I haven't gotten lost in South America. So I think that, you know, correlation isn't causality, but, you know, sometimes, even though my sample size is very small, I think that we need to look at anecdotal evidence and just, you know, recognize that it's a thing sometimes. What, what, what was the effect size on that, uh, on that case study? I don't even, I don't know what you're talking about. What is the effect size? I don't know. I just, I just said that. <laughs> Those just sound like two words that you put together to make me seem less smart. I, there's like an alphabet soup that I have uh, at all times in my head that I just said. Which Greek letter does that go with? Is that the beta or the, uh, the lambda? I, I'm not even going to make anything up. <laughs> <laughs> I, sprayed, I sprayed too deep. Oh, it's like that Sum 41 song, In Too Deep. Exactly. Hmm. So, over the. F- yes. well, I, well, I guess background's the only thing that's not skiing science. So, <laughs> Michael, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as I uh, as you said earlier, I went to Boston University uh, forever. I did their um, combined program, like the six-year PT and AT program, which is always interesting. I don't know if you guys did that um, in your undergrad experience. Hmm. But living in both worlds gives you a nice little perspective on how everyone feels about each other. Um <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, and then I was lucky enough to get a job out of school, and so I've just been living in Boston pretty much for the last 10 years almost, which is uh, scary to think about. Um, almost a Bostonian rather than a kid from New Jersey. Uh-uh. Where in Jersey are you from? Hmm. I'm from, do you know Monmouth County? Nope, I have no idea. You could say like two places and I would just say yes. I would say the most famous place uh, close to me is like Freehold. It's where Bruce Springsteen grew mm. up. That's like the claim to fame. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, closer to the, closer to the shore. The Jersey Shore. Uh, the Jersey Shore. <laughs> Do you GTL? Uh, I think I GTLed more when I lived in LA than when I lived in Jersey. For those of you that aren't aware of the show Jersey Shore, it stands for Gym Tan and Laundry. Um, It was the original, originally proposed inalienable rights by Thomas Jefferson and (laughs) Samuel Adams, but it was taken out of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence for various reasons. Mostly because it was a copyright thing with Tesla at the time, but it's neither here nor there. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> but very, very stereotypical. My dad like owned a pizzeria on the beach. So, was it was it called Beach Pizzeria? No, it's actually called Mike's Pizza. He wasn't Mike. He wasn't Mike. It wasn't me. No. It was a different Mike. But you know, that's a totally different story. Um, but yeah, I'm like a true Bostonian. The other day, I rolled up with like uh, iced coffee in my hand. And I was like, it's happening from Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, this is really happening. <laughs> exactly. This isn't even my final form. No. And I started rooting for the Celtics. Like, it's, it's getting scary. Man. But last night was a bummer. Who's your, uh, who's your football team? Your Pats fan? 
No, I'm a Giants. No, I, so I, I draw the line at the Celtics. I can't, I can't go anywhere else after that. Thank God you're not a Pats fan. No, I'm a Giants fan and a Yankees fan. So. Ooh, that's a, that's got to be tough to be a, a Yankees fan in Boston. Yeah, it, but you know, you grow up and you, you realize baseball is kind of boring, and then you stop caring. Gotcha. I just I probably just offended a lot okay. of people, but. <laughs> I used to love baseball, so I can say that. <laughs> this is man. This is hey. This is your platform. You can say whatever you want. Um, I can say whatever I want. Well, within um, we may have to censor some things up. That's fine. You can always have it. Um, but yeah, but I've been working in Boston now for like five years, which is cool. It's um, I've hopped around a little bit, and uh, like I said, I just uh, accepted the position at Boston PT and Wellness, which I'm super pumped about. Um, mm. Zach has been on your show before, yep. correct? Yes. Yeah. So I'll be working with Zach mm -hmm. and uh, Steph Allen over there and a couple other cool people. Um, but yeah, exciting times. So is Zach just I trying to assemble it. like the Avengers of physical therapists? I think so. He's like, he is our Captain um, No, yeah, I guess he's our Captain America. I, I would say he's more Captain America than Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say he's, he's not definitely Iron Man. not a winner, um, uh, Playboy philanthropist. Not yet. Not yet. He's got to level up first. Yeah. Not yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, but yeah, when I'm not doing PT, I am probably playing video games. Ooh. Or reading. What's What's or your reading. platform? PlayStation. Dude, you should add me. What do you play? Nice. I've been playing a lot of, well, Battlefield 1 was a big hit for like a year. And then um, now I'm playing a lot of Fortnite and God of War. Dude, God of War is so good. It's unreal. It is so good. Like, Mike, Mike watched me play a large portion of that game like two weekends ago. And sat the, mm -hmm. the bed before I beat it. Um, I had to film in on the storyline afterward, but I feel bad for like the twelve-year-olds because they don't—they don't know. Like this is like the evolution of gaming is amazing, dude. It's absolutely like cinematic absolutely, masterpieces. It's absolutely crazy because if you don't die in that game, the whole game is one camera shot. Yeah, you can sit down and play the whole game and never like yeah, have a cutscene or uh, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like. Cool stuff. And it's it's like a combination of, well, obviously God of War, but also like The Last of Us, like that kind of like mm. survivally, like you're yeah. the main character, third person, but you've got this little like tiny teenage helper. Um, yeah, that that is hands down my favorite game. Last of Us. Uh, Last of Us. Oh my yeah. god, dude, it's such a good game. <laughs> so good. Uh, that it also kind of reminds me of a little bit of like Horizon Zero Dawn, kind of. Um, See, I haven't, I haven't played that yet, but I want to. That's another good one. Uh, I'm a big, if you can't tell, I'm a big like RPG guy. So like your Kingdom Hearts, your Final Fantasies, uh, Dark Souls. I haven't played that. Dark Souls is one mm -hmm. of the most unforgiving games I've ever played in my entire life. They, well, Demon Souls is way worse than Dark Souls. I could never progress in Demon Souls, but um, Dark Souls. They take, like, every conventional, like, 
thing that you would ever need in a platforming like RPG type video game. And they just throw it out the window. It's like, oh, you want a map? <laughs> Sorry, there's no map in this game. Oh, you want a convenient like ability to hit start and then just save your game? Not happening. If you don't make it to a bonfire and you die, all of your progress is lost. Uh, and then you want you want like a story like that makes sense? Nope. There's there's no story. There's there's like it's just it's just like an allegory for life. And then do you want unforgiving AI that just like completely like butchers you and drives you insane? Welcome to Dark Souls. Sounds like a game for me. It's 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 good, man. It's a it's a good one. But yeah, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to like DM you my uh, my yes, PlayStation game. login. I do have as far as like multiplayer stuff. I got Overwatch. I don't know if you have that. Oh, I used to. I played it for a little bit. Yeah. I kind of I play it casually. I'm not a big first person shooter guy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. God of War is so good. I, we were actually <laughs> potentially talking about doing some like Twitch stuff. Oh, you should. Where like me and Mike like play video games together and just stream it. Yeah, as the rage, as the movement talks. Then you can diagnose like everyone's injuries that you deal out. Oh, Kratos! Did you just like (laughs) slice this Draugr in half with your battle axe? Ooh. Um, (laughs) If you want to talk about like stoicism and pain science, like Kratos is your guy. Dude, that line that line in the beginning where Atreus says, I'm sorry, and he's like, Don't be sorry. Be better. Exactly. Who are you, Seneca? Are you Marcus Aurelius? Like what is what is happening? I mean he is Greek. He is Greek. So mm. Oh man. Too far. So when you're not gaming, what do you what else do you do? Uh, I dabble in some of the liftings of barbells and stuff. No, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Often I message you, but mostly about how beautiful your doings are. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I cherish those moments. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a very competitive or strong lifter, but I like doing it. It's a lifestyle. I can, yeah, I can deadlift like half of what you deadlifted today. So. It, Which is was very impressive. So I don't know. If, I don't know if all the uh, this will come out like a a week from now. But you did lift the six fifteen today. I did. I did. That's a thirty pound PR for me. Um, Congratulations. Thanks, man. I've been basically stuck at five seventy to five eighty five since I graduated from UVA in twenty fourteen. Wow. Uh, and, and have never been able to progress it. I think part of that is because of my powerlifting training. I like never really did accessory work or all of the stuff that would have made me stronger as far as like strengthening my hamstrings and back. I just like didn't really do. Mm. Our mentality for a long time was just pull a heavy double, which ended up turning into pull a heavy single and then like maybe do some accessory work and like leave. So you didn't have like any volume. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of volume. But then you couple that with like doing three grad programs at once and like having horrible sleep apnea and not necessarily yeah. eating correctly and your overall like stress levels and like are just there was no way I was gonna progress. So, mm-hmm. so what change did you make? I have a CPAP now, which is great. Uh, Good. Because when your neck is <laughs> over nineteen and a half inches. 
something has to give when you sleep. And typically yeah. that's your trachea. So, <laughs> Not good. You don't want that. Thankfully, the wonderful doctors at UVA decided that if we shove a hose that goes like full blast through your nostrils, that uh, maybe you'll get some air and oxygen in your brain. Like they, when they uh, did the sleep study, <laughs> my O2 sats, well, first of all, I think severe sleep apnea is like any, any uh, incidents, like when you stop breathing about 15 yeah. times an hour, I had okay. 99. 99 yeah. an hour? And my O2 sats were 82% when I was sleeping. Oh my yeah. gosh. So. It seemed to feel like a new man. I, I did. <laughs> I did. I, so, yeah. Um, so that's been, that's been that's a cool. big thing is just like sleep and, um, <clears throat> and then also kind of like, I guess really just changing my, my programming, getting a little bit more volume. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I think my goal is to do strongman for a little bit, try mm-hmm. to become like nationally competitive and then go back to powerlifting. I'd like to get a 2000 pound drug free, like lifetime drug free total. Um, nice, we'll see what happens. I like it. So yeah, video games, lifting, and a lot of reading. That makes it most of my week. That's like not at all a bad word combination. Those are like life life goals. Oh no, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I found my niche. You know. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff uh, are you reading? Right now, I'm reading for books. I'm reading "Being Wrong" by Catherine Schultz. Nice. Have you read it? Uh, I'm currently reading it right now. Oh, yeah. like, I'm on chapter five, or something like that. so I'm not too far. Awesome. It's great. What do you think like so far? It. Um, it's easy to read. Like, she's very, like, conversational, which I like. Because um, I just read, what did I read? Uh, the Signal and the Noise, which is really good, too. But that's a little bit harder to get through. It's just, like, a little, little dry, a little more, like, stat. So there's a lot of, like, math and stuff to, not a lot of math, but um, you definitely have to, like, slowly read through it. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you in regards to that. So, uh, you know, what what is your, what is your like, kind of, like, go-to method? Like, I know you you work on, like, reading. Do you do you budget out, like, a certain amount of time each day that you're going to say, oh, this is my, like, reading time? Or, or like, how do you how do you set aside time to, to make sure that you get... It, uh, it varies. Like, I'm definitely not that strict in it. I'm not that organized. I kind of just do it as I can. But I, I have the uh, advantage of using the MBTA, which is uh, slow and unreliable. It is the uh, train system here in Boston. So probably get, like, an hour a day if I choose to that I can read on the train. And so that's my go-to. Okay. Okay. So when you're kind of like transporting to and from work exactly. or whatever, and yeah. you're kind of moving around, you uh, can just... In the morning, it's like quiet gotcha. enough that I can like sit down and read. Um, and in the afternoon, it's not too bad either. Because I, I, unless I have like a day where like I have a bunch of no-shows and cancellations, I'm probably not going to get a well reading done at work. And then like when I'm home, I'm like spent. I'm like done. I just need to turn my brain off. Sure. But, I mean, you could read a work, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Just like read aloud to your patients. Um. <clears throat> Oh yeah, I, you know what I do? Like I, when I teach them pain science, I just throw articles at them. Like I have, I have them printed out in stacks. I'm just throwing at them. How how evidence based practice of you? Yeah, you don't need this 
fluffy modality here read this like 12 page article with a lot of science words that you won't understand aloud to me and then all of your pain will magically go away that's how it works that's how skin pines works right yeah it's a very conscious event you have to just like think it and then it happens <laughs> but yeah that's not a good one but it depends on the week like some weeks i'll be like okay. i don't feel like reading this week and i'll just be listening to like music or podcasts or uh, yeah we're zoning out mm-hmm. yeah all good things <laughs> my big fan of zoning out <laughs> dude tell you what especially after a long day sometimes you just need to be like I need like 20 minutes to yeah. just not do anything, just not think about anything, to just be. Dude, that's like um, such a stoic mindset. Sounds good. Just, just <laughs> be. No, I'd say it, it reminds me of this book. It's, um, it was about Winnie the Pooh, but somebody took uh, Taoism and applied it to Winnie the Pooh. And so it was, it was called the Tao of Pooh. And, they, they asked him, like, I forget what it was, but it was basically, like, this whole, this whole like, description of Winnie the Pooh and how he's, like, the perfect Taoist and how he lives in the moment each and every day. Because it's, like, uh, he's talking to Piglet, and he's, like, Piglet, what day is it? And Piglet's, like, oh, why, it's Tuesday, of course. And, and Winnie the Pooh's, like, ah, Tuesday, my favorite day, because it's today, and so on and so forth. And it's just stuff like that, just, like, living presently and being in the moment. But they made an entire Mike, I'm not going to lie. When you said... It reminds me of this book. For some reason, I thought you were going to say the original Jedi tomes. <laughs> going back to that. I just thought you were going to bring it back to that for some reason. I don't know. It's probably because we watched a Star Wars movie today. But... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, too funny. But, yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we've kind of we've kind of skirted around this subject, but I think it's a good time to kind of get into it a little bit. So, so Mike, what is uh, what is pain science or, or, or skein science? Like, what what is that um, for somebody that's heard that kind of buzzword uh-huh. kind of floating around a little bit? Um, how do you describe that to somebody? Um, I had to think about this for a while actually, because I saw that and I was like, oh, I know what pain science is, and I was like, mm, uh, hold on. So, I, I mean, I think the central like aspect of it is the like the neuroscience so the actual like nitty-gritty neuroscience that's been evolving over the last like 15 to 20 years into not just like pain but like actually just figuring out how the brain works and um, just like cognitive science Mm -hmm. and then if you're a neuroscientist who is interested in pain that's where the pain science is coming out of because i think if you want to talk about like biopsychosocial approach that's older like that's been around for longer than let's say the pain science stuff um so i look at pain science almost like separately where it's like here's like the neuroscience and then how do you apply it to anything you want um but it it is essentially the central hub of the biopsychosocial approach the way i see it kind of like brock's workshop in god of war okay exactly like you can't you're not going to be able to like you know, kill a dark angel without a magic axe. Yes. Those dwarves are very good at crafting <laughs> magical weapons. 
they always want to take my axe and like just like without asking questions and just make it better, which makes me kind of nervous and skeptical. But well, I mean, when a small blue man asks you for your scary choppy axe weapon, of course you give it to him. <laughs> I think that just like has a lot of like. Um, I think there's a lot of like undertones about society and how we need to trust people. Um, Cause it's not about the color of their skin. It's about the character of who they are, you know? I see. Well, I was kind of taking it as he was like a guru and I just like, you know, like I needed to see the evidence behind what he was doing. He was kind of coming across a little Please guru-y. give me your metal fascia scraper and mm. I'll improve it for you. <laughs> do is give me this mythical item like like substance that doesn't exist and i'll use it to make this better and you'll be able to release more adhesions yes level one <laughs> level two is gonna cost one yeah but if you upgrade to level two you get a free online course with access access to the fascial adhesion library right i mean Think oh, of all the, the, the move skill sets that you learn, right, after you level up. Mm-hmm. Well, really, it's just a framework, and then you can, like, you know, make your own decisions out of it. But follow these set rules and don't bend them. This, this is becoming, <laughs> like, so metaphysical. Yeah, where are we going? I don't know, but I can tell you it's not to uh, Jodenheim. I'm pretty sure after the Will Mills episode and like the way that this one's starting now, people are just going to stop listening to what we talk about. We're going to have to start doing like actual content starts at 30 minutes in. It's kind of like when I listen to the PT inquest, they always joke about how like, you know, like they get, um, I I don't know if this actually happens, but they get reviews about how like the actual content of the paper doesn't start until like 20 minutes in. I don't know, I, like the I there's just something about that like but i mean yeah, it's just absolutely. like dealing with patients right i mean if we want to bring this back clinically the witty banter is very much part of like the whole podcast process right if we can't make connections with our guests and like get to know each other and like bond mm-hmm. and like you know like text like even with pretty much everyone that we have podcasting with i feel like there should be like a better term for that it just kind of sounded weird um <laughs> For everyone that we have podcast with, <laughs> oftentimes it just sparks like a lot of. Um, it, did that just saying that just reminded me of like the the tail entwinement in the movie Avatar. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why, um, but I mean, like, just the, it's know. the human interaction that that really makes it, and I think that makes it the humanity of it is what people crave right in today's world like we have reality tv because we're searching for some reality that isn't our own so no i mean hmm. i i think no i think you're picking up a good point because like i'm trying to think back to when i was uh, like a new grad and um i think something and i think like having the at undergrad experience helped with this but like i think the one thing that i never really struggled with was like just talking to patients and while I may not have been like the best therapist five years ago, I still think I could have talked to patients pretty well and been like, my demeanor is like just kind of calm. I don't really get, I don't get too like worked up in general or anything. So I think that always helps. And now that like I've found 
like the pain science approach um, over the last couple of years, I feel like I'm like, oh, this is maybe why some things in the past worked for me well. And it wasn't because I was like a motor control wizard. It was because I maybe could talk to people a little bit better. But mm-hmm. no, I think you're picking up on something important there. I think I'm sometimes I pick things up and yeah. put it down. Am I picking up what you're putting down? I think that's what I'm doing. Yes. I think you are. But yeah, I think that I think that human interaction is just super important. No, I think you're right. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I, I think that's kind of everything, you know. It's like and I was actually I was just talking um with my girlfriend about this the other day and we were talking about um just the different skills and things that you learn in PT school and AT school and all this kind of stuff and like the hands-on techniques and the joint mobilizations and all this different kind of stuff. And, uh, and that's all well and good. And that's stuff that you can always get better at, but like what really sets you apart as a clinician is your ability to actually connect with people, um, and like listen to them, meet them where they are and help them, um, you know, kind of get better and kind of hear what their goals are and kind of work with them that way. If you can build that kind of like trust and that therapeutic alliance, that's not necessarily something that, Maybe you can teach ultimately in school, um, but you can kind of cultivate it over years of practice, right? And and maybe I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts are on this kind of stuff too. Um, but did you guys get a lot of that kind of experience in school, or is it mostly like the hands-on stuff? You know, like did you get any like okay, this is like type of interaction like we want to talk with patients, we want to um, work with them and help them. Um, or just like troubleshooting difficult conversations, or is it mostly like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do these joint mobilizations. You're going to work through a case. You're going to figure out what's wrong with them biomedically and then treat it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I can't, and I'm not going to like undermine my education, but I can't think of anything specifically where it was like we spent a whole day or a whole course or a whole even week on something that was more like the soft skills you're talking about. I can only remember like the biomedical stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think yeah. the reason I said, like, because I had, like, the AT undergrad experience, I think it was more like the reps. Like, just getting in so many reps of talking to people. Yeah. After, like, six years of talking mm-hmm. to people as a student, I felt like, all right, even though I'm a new grad, I already have, like, five years of experience of talking to people in pain. So it's like that puts another yeah. – that puts me, like, a step above, I feel like. And then, you know, now I'm at five years out, I feel like it just gets more and more – not automated, but it just flows out easier. Yeah, I think I think the key word that you just said there, and um, yeah, so it's really crucial is the is the reps, right? It's the practice and working with patients and and trying to see because everybody everybody deals with pain a little bit differently, right? And you see you see yeah. it in, in different ways. And what, one technique that would work for somebody, um, you know, the certain words that you use what might that might work for somebody may not work for someone else, and so. You know, having those opportunities that you've had to work with other patients and, and kind of, you know, get those reps in, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah, like I mean, at the end of my day, I always think, like, I I don't, like, do this very specifically. I probably should, but I look back on the day, and I always think, like, how could I have, like, talked to someone uh, better, pretty much? Like, I, at this point, like, I'm not too worried about, like, oh, I should have gave them, like, this exercise instead of that exercise. It's more about, like, did I miss something in one of the, like, interactions or conversations I had with somebody, especially, like, the new evals and stuff like that. Um, that's, like, my yeah. daily, <clears throat> like, refinement. I think that's, like, what every clinician should be focusing on, like, throughout their career. 
Dude, I feel you. I've had uh, yeah. recently, <clears throat> there's been a couple moments where I thought I was listening to what patients were saying. And it wasn't until they kept saying the same thing, like every time I saw them for like a week or two weeks, that I was just like, oh, <clears throat> I'm an idiot. Like, let's, let's do something with this. Why have I not, like, why haven't we addressed this? Because, like, I'm not paying, I'm, yeah. I think I'm paying attention, but I'm really not paying attention. So let's, like, change up our strategy, go address this. I've had a lot more success by just, like, listening to what, like, even though I'm probably still kind of caught up in my biases and as, like, a new grad, I'm still like, oh, well, I think I know what I'm doing, so we're going to do this. But, dude, that's just been a huge lesson that I've learned recently and will continue to learn is just, like, shut up and listen to what they say to you because sometimes that's all you need is just to pay attention to what they're telling you. Yeah, I went to uh, Lorimer Mosley's course last fall, and um, he's like he's an insane educator. And one of the great, one of the craziest things about him is that he'll remember everyone's name <clears throat> over the course of the weekend. Like I'll call on you once, and uh, he'd be like, "Excuse me, yep, you, um, you know, what's your name?" And you'll say it, and then like three hours will go by, and you'll raise your hand again, and it'll be like, "Michael, yes, you know," and he'll do it with people that he met like two years ago. Like, I swear, he'll be like, you in the back. Like, we've talked before, right? And um, like, what's your name? Kevin? Yeah, Kevin. And uh, he just kept doing it all, all weekend. And then eventually someone asked him like, how do you remember everyone's name? And he's like, I listen. And we're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember him, like, I remember, like, um, I remember saying that, like, that's, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> that's such a Kratos thing to say. That's so true. Honestly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That just, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. What, what do you guys want to know about pain science? Everything. Oh, good. I, know, I, know, I know nothing. Well, uh, we know less than nothing. Okay. <laughs> no, you got it. You got no stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, okay, so we, we've talked a little bit about it, about um, like the neuroscience aspect of things too and, um, and, and, and that. I guess the, the big thing is how, how do you apply it? You know, so you have a patient coming in. And I don't know, I had a patient come in the other day that was, she'd gotten some imaging on her back and her, her like, let's say, you know, there was something in her T-spine and she was scared to death that something was uh, completely messed up with her back and she was really worried about it and everything was, every movement was super painful and she was just, like, super afraid to move uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so, so, so say you have a patient that comes in and, and maybe has gotten, like, three or four answers from a bunch of different, um, you know, you know, physicians or different types of uh, medical professionals, and they're giving her a bunch of different information, and uh, she's scared to death to move, and she's in a lot of pain. You know, like how do you how do you start those conversations? You know, like how do you how do you start to explain what she's going through or help her understand? You know, the things that are yeah. happening to her. Um, super complicated, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. Like, it's all too common, unfortunately. Um, one thing I'm trying to get better at and I try to always address on day one is like <clears throat> first like just like validating like their experience I think is super important um, 
especially like in the very beginning because like they're not gonna care what you say until like they trust you kind of thing and i feel like mm -hmm. all i'm trying to do in the beginning is like validate their experience and i i don't know if i have like a very specific way of like going about that but instead of like discrediting discrediting things or discrediting people that have given them answers is super important like not to do um because they don't know you and who knows they maybe they trust that doctor or they have someone in their family who knows a lot of stuff and they trust them but i feel like that's like the first approach mm -hmm. is like making sure that like understand that their experience is real and that like you're there to help to help them um I think. And then, like, after that, just understanding what their beliefs are. Like, which is probably, like, the hardest but most integral part is, like, uh, like getting them to verbalize what they know or what they believe is going on and what's helping or what's hurting and what they need. Okay. And so do you, do you, do you help them kind of, like, realize, like, what their experience is and, and what they're going through by... Like asking them different questions, so they're like self-reflecting, or, or like, what do you have a process? That you yeah, like, go I'll, like <clears throat> I'll ask them, like, I'll ask them straight up, like, what do you think is going on? Like, why do you think this is happening? Um, you know, why hasn't X, Y, and Z worked, or why do you think you're still in pain? Um, that kind of stuff. And if you know, if they're like either like I don't know, then I'll go like then like that would open up a new branch where I'm just like, oh, do you want to know more? Kind of thing. Or if they're very like concrete and like saying like oh well i have a disc herniation like that's why i'm in pain and i'm like okay yeah that makes sense um you know but you know did you know that like discs can heal and like i'll i'll start going down like that approach where i'm not like diving right into the neuroscience aspect of it and just trying to gain them a little bit of trust and give them like a little bit of glimmer of hope and then i'll and then it'll be more of like down the line we start to like sprinkle things in will probably be more of the approach i take Gotcha. Okay. So, so I guess like the, the big kicker first is to listen and kind of validate the experiences yeah. that they have. Right. So you're kind of saying, okay, yeah, I understand um, that you're coming in here and you're having these pain and mm -hmm. you're kind of validating that. Um, and then from there you're saying you're kind of almost building that confidence and, and um, kind of expressing the resiliency, yeah. I guess. In yeah. a way. Is, that, is that right? That'd be, that, that's important. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Something that like, um, a lot of what I've been reading is from Mosley. I, I read um, Explain Pain Supercharged, and then I read a bunch of like other articles and stuff that branch off of that. But um, something he talks about a lot is like understanding the patient's like schema. So like what, hmm. where are they coming from, and what do they need? You know, like do they only need a couple of little pebbles of information, or are they like? fortress in their beliefs and you're going to have to take your time and be almost very nuanced with it um and like understanding where they're coming from is going to be like the important part for building your curriculum and that's like an interesting thing i mm -hmm. i kind of picked up on was that he looks at education from a curriculum standpoint which makes sense because like we've all learned yeah. from a curriculum <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think that's like the crazy part for me is like um, learning from him I've learned a lot about just education like education theory and it was like one of these aha moments where I'm like so a lot of our evidence says like exercise and education right that's like being some of the more mm -hmm. uh, significant 
uh, like effective treatment strategies. And yet in school, like, can you remember how much you were taught explicitly about like education strategies and how to approach like individual education? I don't think we had a class on that. <clears throat> yeah, like, yeah. No, I don't think we had a class on you, that. You had a class? We ha we had a class, but I think it was more about like it was more about like teaching like a college course almost, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. all, all I remember was like lecturing doesn't work, and you have to like not lecture, um, which is a simplification of it. But um, yeah, a lot of it comes from this like curriculum based standpoint. So like if you can read the patient in front of you, get their beliefs, like see what they need then you can build them a curriculum and you get to decide like, how am I going to teach them what they need to know over the next like four to six weeks? You know, cause like what I'm going to say to them is going to last a lot longer than what we actually do in the clinic. Yeah. 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 You're, you're kind of building them the education tools for success so they can sustain it over the period of time when you're not pretty much. And, and it's hard. Cause like, I don't, I don't, I haven't done it yet where I sat down where I'm like, okay, this patient needs like, you know, week one, I need to get this point across and week two, I need to get this point across. But I try to keep that in the back of my head as I'm like going through each week. I'm like, all right, I think they have this concept. Now let me move on to this concept. Yeah, no, I think that's that's such a smart way to to I guess strategize and figure out the ways that you can help your patients because um, I know I've done this too and kind of like reflecting on just different patient interactions and all that kind of stuff. Like I get so excited about the different information that we can share with patients and all that kind of stuff and be like, oh yeah, you know this this and this is happening and this might be what's going on and there could be this that's happening all this kind of stuff and it ends up just being way too much information overload and that wasn't what the patient exactly. needed. It, it's like the biomedical um, stuff. Like, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't throw all the biomedical at them because we know that, like, that creates like the nocebo response and you know, just like the paralysis by analysis um, approach. Um, it's yeah. the same thing with the pain science. Like, just because you know a lot of neurobiology doesn't mean you're gonna throw it all at the person in front of you. Um, right. Like, there's a cool picture of uh, it's like a little cartoon in the beginning of the Explain Pain book where it's like a iceberg and um the tip of the iceberg is like the knowledge that you pass on and then the underneath the water is like the knowledge that you know but you hold on to and so like the patient in front mm -hmm. of you just needs the tip of the iceberg but you actually need to know the entire iceberg to effectively transmit that knowledge to them that makes sense yeah yeah, that makes yeah, it makes total sense. You know, it's you have you have all this information to help impact change, but you need to boil it down to something that's digestible and something that the patient can understand and is actionable for them. Yeah, and I feel like either people try to give them the whole iceberg, or they don't actually know the iceberg and they're just throwing like snow at them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So like. I guess so that's one of the that's definitely one of the things that I struggle with is like how how do you know when like is there a, a formula to is it just something that you have to know intrinsically like this is how I should dose out education or this person doesn't need education about pain science um it's tricky. Like I, I don't have a great answer for it because I'm not like I. This is what I need to get better at too, but I think. 
it's one of those things where you have to get the reps in. You'll figure out who needs what. Um, I think everyone needs some of it, and some people need more of it in a longer duration. But I think everyone could benefit from having some education from it, even like your very, you know, simple, straightforward ankle sprain that comes in. You know, needs to know just the basic understandings of it. Because I find myself a lot of times, like, especially if it's with, like, athletes, because I I work with a lot of athletes now, um, Mm -hmm. I kind of try to relate it to, like, training stuff so that, you know, just, like, you know, you're prepping for, I guess I I try to put it in the context of, like, PT is no different than, like, prepping for sports performance, right? It's just a different chunk of that larger, I can't think of the word, continuum. Yeah, continuum. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just like you're, you know, if you're preparing for, like, a meet or whatever it is, there's all those little things that, like, contribute to your success. You know, like, sleeping, good eating good staying hydrated even though i mm-hmm. think there's some varying research on like what you actually need for true hydration um yep. but whatever that's neither here nor there right now but just like explaining that you know a lot of those things go into how well you're going to perform just like how well you're going to recover um and that just like if you were you know prepping for you know some big meet or competition or a tournament or whatever it is like you kind of want to try to tune out some of the other stuff and control your overall stress levels so whether we're talking physical stress or other forms of stress, you want to make sure that you're dialed in so that you can, you know, recover and prepare for that particular competition. So they, maybe not always comes out like that, but I try to, like, that's kind of the framework that I try to use and, and like, sprinkle that in there just to make them aware that, like, I guess, like, other things can contribute to, to what they're experiencing. Um, and maybe not go super in-depth with it, but try to at least sprinkle a little bit of stuff out there. Yeah, and that's that's where, like, the stories and the metaphors work really well. Like, I think we were just talking about how, like, that human interaction is necessary. Like, people learn by hearing stories and understanding it through metaphors. Because, like, you don't, you don't have time to sit down and, like, read them the textbook of pain, you know? Like, they don't have time to get their PhD in neuroscience. So you have to be able to convey it to them, like, in a way that's relatable, uh, especially for, like, an athlete. Like, that makes sense for an athlete. Like, if you tell them, like, yeah, you had a bad night's sleep before your big game and then you played like shit like doesn't that make sense like that you're you know all the training that left to that point kind of got affected by one night of sleep you know or you broke up with your girlfriend yeah. or whatever you know yeah no it makes total sense and kind of kind of speaking along those same lines of analogies and metaphors and stuff do you have like a couple of go-tos that um that you tend to tend to use frequently um just for anybody that's listening to the show that um wants to start kind of working into helping some patients out yeah, through yeah. this kind of stuff um that's the cool thing about the book too it has like literally 80 i think 80 metaphors and like seven stories that you can tell people <laughs> Yeah, oh like, like, <laughs> and everyone's like a different subject, like you know, like central central sensitivity versus like peripheral sensitivity, and like all this is really cool. But um, a lot of my go-to's are like I I use like the cup analogy a lot. Um, I think that's more of like a Greg Lehman one, where it's about just your like your body and your being is essentially like a cup and you have a certain tolerance to stress and activity. And if you overflow your cup, you may experience 
something negative, whether it's like pain or anxiety or, you know, whatever that's coming out as. And so pain, we can use that as our central um, feeling or experience there. And every now and then we definitely overflow our cups. So like, I, I can even be more specific being like, let's say like, this is like your knee system. Um, if they're really, you know, focused on like a specific body area. Um, sure. So I just tell them like, what we're going to do is manage what's in the cup to make life a little more manageable right now. But then our long-term goal is to make the cup bigger. And that takes mm. time, but like that's our end goal is like to continually make the cup bigger so you can hold more and more water. And they uh, they kind of get it. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, especially because like visual, I usually have like a cup on my desk that I can show them so they can actually see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's like awesome. Because that like anything can, anything can add to the cup. Like it's all on a level playing field. Yeah. So that could be stress. That could be actual pain. That could be any yeah. of those things. Do you do you go like first grade science project and like whip out the two liter, two two liter bottles duct taped together and make a tornado? I actually just have to sleep in Mentos and I just uh, just plop it right in. This is your this liter, two liter of Diet Coke is your normal tolerance to stress. See these little yes. Mentos tabs. This is your psychological like fear, worry, kinesiophobia. And what happens is when you just shove them in the bottle like that without making room for them, it just explodes all over the place. That's great. That's great. Uh, <laughs> that also reminds me of uh, – have you, you ever watched The Simpsons? Are you a Simpsons fan? I'm not, actually. Okay, well, I – I have not seen any episodes. It's like a handful. I've only, I mean, I haven't watched The Simpsons in probably like 10 or 12 years, but I'll always remember like Mr. Burns, one of the, he's like the evil nuclear power plant owner who's like super rich and is Homer's boss. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, sir, you have every disease known to man. And he's like, <laughs> But you're incredibly healthy. And he's like, well, how, how does that work? He's like, well, and he picks up this little, like, he has this little doorway, like, model. And he has all these, like, plush, like, germs and bacteria. And he just takes a handful of these things and just tries to shove them through the doorway. And he explains that his body has created this perfect homeostatic environment because all of the germs are trying to fit through the doorway at one time. And because of that, he has no symptoms. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if I need to, like, should I get, like, little plush, like, germs and bacteria and, like, a small bucket and, or something like that? Or Yeah, that would be probably ideal. <laughs> we didn't create homeostasis. No, there's no doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, another one I really like too, because like this, that's just like, I feel like that one's kind of like, it's good. Cause I, I guess I'm going to, uh, understand like stress. Um, but it still doesn't like drive home. Like the central point, which I like to get across is that like pain is more about safety versus danger. And, um, hmm. uh, essentially like I asked them about like, have you ever had paper cut before? And like everyone's had paper cut before. And I'm like, um, okay, so, like, you get a paper cut, and then what do you do, usually? And then people are like, all right, yeah, it hurts. And then I usually will clean the wound and put a Band-Aid on it. I'm like, 
Yep. And then when does it stop hurting? And you probably don't think about this a lot, but like usually a paper cut stops hurting pretty quickly, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe within like the hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but how long does it take for a paper cut to heal? Okay, at least up like to, three or five up days. Up to two right? years. It's like basic, basic, yeah, <laughs> two years. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's like basic like physiology. And um, I'm like, so that's like a very clear example of how tissue damage doesn't equal pain. Like what you did was you promoted safety because like you, like the pain drew your attention. You like understood you cut yourself, you cleaned it, hopefully, um, <laughs> and then covered it. And then at that point, your body now recognizes that that's not that big of a threat unless you, you know, rub it or, you know, uh, hit it again. And then it'll remind you like, hey, this is still healing. Um, but you're not in constant pain for five days. What about if you cut your web space? Right. That's, that's the worst. Like, oh, you like slice in your little finger webs. Yeah, but that, you know, that's all contextual, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what I do with my shoulder. I just ignore it, right? That's what I'm supposed to do? You should be able to placebo your way into anything that is possible. It's kind of like the Matrix, you know? Like, do you think you're breathing Mm -hmm. air? Hmm. I don't know. Don't take that. I really, I really like what, what is, what is reality? Uh, You know, I learned, uh, how do I know that this is real? Morpheus is like a, like a Greek God. And it's like, isn't he like the boat keeper? No, I thought it was like very like, um, like well, aha moments. Yeah. Morpheus is the God, God of dreams. And I was like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh my gosh. You just blew my it's mind. Right. <laughs> he's the god of dreams. Yeah, he's a Greek god of dreams. And it's like, oh, you could you could have saw that coming. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when it, my shoulder hurts, I just download more free RAM and it goes away. <laughs> It was interesting. I'm reading the uh, Being Wrong book, and uh, they talk about memory a little bit. And um, it's you forget that like computer memory is a metaphor because like we're we talk about how our brain has memory, so we're like, oh, a computer has memory, but like a computer doesn't have memory. It's just like a database that it pulls from. But we gave a computer like a human quality by saying like it has memory, but it really doesn't have memory like the way we have memory. Because I'm brand- it's all about it's all about context and how you frame it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I can talk about metaphors all day. Like I think it's super interesting. Metaphors yeah. be with you as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> oh man. Do- <laughs> Do you find that um, that your patients respond pretty well to that when you give them those analogies, like whether that be the cup or whether that be, you know, any different analogy that you're using? I think so. It's it's hard though because um, I think I need a I think we all need including me I think we need a better way of like assessing what they believe or know in the beginning and like what they believe and know like 
throughout the process or some kind of way of tracking like what their um I mean there are like fear avoidance scales and there's a start tool that you can use to start tracking their progress but I know there's like a neurophysiology of pain questionnaire that I've dabbled in a little bit, but I wonder if like I would implement that more and if I saw a change in that knowledge versus a change in their pain, you know, what that would look like. But that's why there's researchers. It's interesting. I feel like on intake forms, we should put what are your favorite movies, TV shows, like bands or like albums and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I I actually like agree. I not maybe not into that full um, categories, but like <laughs> I think like I think like the pinnacle of like rehab would be that we would be pretty much like on a even homogeneous kind of ground where like everyone kind of understood pain science and was good at the soft skills of interacting with people and maybe has some kind of like activity niche like oh like i like to do yoga or i'm into powerlifting or like you just get like a population um Mm -hmm. but then you would have like personality matches so it's like patient a is this type of personality and they match really well with this therapist so let's put them together because they're going to be able to build a better therapeutic alliance yeah i don't know wait are you saying that we should make like a Match.com for <laughs> potential. I was going to say Tinder because we did a Tinder reference on the first episode, but like, you know, maybe just change the game a little bit. Match.com for, uh, for, for medicine. Yes. I mean, even the, like, <laughs> I mean how, how hard is it to find a PCP? Like, do you guys have PCPs? We, I think you, they sell it down at the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> You got to go around back and ask for some guy named Earl, but, you know. <laughs> Earl's good for it. He's got the good smell. <laughs> nah, we, uh... That's a good question, though. I don't know. Jake, do you know? How do you find a PCP? No, like, do you have, do you have one? <laughs> do I have one? Yeah. I have... I Right now, I actually don't. I have um, my family doctor who I saw like growing up, but I haven't been there since my entrance physical to like PT school, like three, four years ago. Yeah. And then because of my, um, my like financial situation, like going through undergrad, I, uh, I was on like a financial aid through UVA hospital. Mm -hmm. And so they paid for my meniscus repair my pacemaker surgery and ICD implementation. And so while I had financial aid coverage through them, I would just do everything at UVA hospital. Okay. So like, I I like my CPAP, all that stuff. I would get, I kind of like used my cardiologist for like checkups and whatnot and would like kind of ask them for like blood panels Mm -hmm. (laughs) as needed. And just kind of like, I tried to take advantage of that. So I don't, right now I really don't have a PCP. Um, but I don't know how I would go about finding one. Exactly. Like, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm just like, I like I, I know what would be important to me is like having a doctor that would like just understand me as a person. Like that's honestly, and then be able to refer me out when necessary. Um, mm. But like, how do you go about doing that? 
Can I, can I just make Michael Ray my PCP? I think you can in Virginia, yeah. He's like an hour away. That's close. Maybe, maybe Mike, when we try to go visit him in the summer, maybe I'll ask him if he'll be my PCP. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> we can entice him with uh, some homebrew or something. Yes. I, heard he, I heard he doesn't like IPAs. Okay. He doesn't, from what I understand. Yeah. Okay, so stouts it is. Stouts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. But yeah, match.com. Do you... Uh, Match.com. I think that's such an awesome concept, though, you know, um, to be able to do that. I think that would just be neat. Do we need to, like, censor this part of the show out so people don't steal our ideas? Um, Probably, because I would think we we need to, like, go to the copyright. Yeah. I don't know. There's some of those shifty characters that follow us on on Instagram. Like who? Looking at you, Jason LePage. (laughs) And Sam Spinelli. I had I just had Sam Spinelli stay with me for about a week. Oh, he uh, he said he did the um, the World Posture Summit thing in your kitchen. Did he? <laughs> yeah, when he recorded that video, he said he, he did it in your. I think it was your kitchen or dining room or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he, he must have. Yeah, he did definitely. He was asking me if he could use my computer one day. <laughs> oh man, that that was a thing. You, you did it too, right? We did. Mm-hmm. Is it available yet? Uh, yeah. I mean, we have the YouTube link. I think now that the thing is over, we'll put it up on our website. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's really just like Mike and I like being ourselves and talking about how exercise is good for you. Movement mm-hmm. <laughs> is good for you. Yeah, we're just talking. Kind of much like we do on the podcast, actually. We're just kind of yeah. having a conversation and, and talking about stuff. Then I would definitely listen to it. So it's like uh, there's a lot of bad jokes. Okay. A lot, um, a lot of bad jokes. A lot of bad jokes. <laughs> there's me wearing a Superman T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting next to Mike, we actually our headphones, we're wearing them because we were told to in the description of how we should do it. But they're not actually plugged into anything. So I just have like a cord dangling between my legs. <laughs> um, Behind the scenes. And we recorded like a quarter of the presentation before we realized we were supposed to have video. Yeah. So we had to redo it. <laughs> That's a bummer. Um, but at that point, we had already practiced like the first eight slides like multiple times. So it was pretty, it was pretty good. And it's really just about like, because our, our thing was, if you saw any of the um, ads for that thing, they it seemed a little kind of nocebo-y with how they talked about posture. I would, I would imagine, yeah. I'm trying to be very political in how I talk about this, um, if you couldn't tell. And oh, yeah, so we tried to not do that. And be very, like, not really talk about posture. We did use their definition, the American Posture Association's definition of posture, just to, like, you know, as a nod to them. Yeah. Um, but uh, we really just talked about how movement is good. It was, I think our whole talk was geared towards people that, like, don't really know anything about movement or exercise. That's good. 
And so it's like, it's not like super high level or anything. We cite some, some papers and, you know, it's just us hanging out, having a good time. That's good. Um, it reminds me of like uh, one of my old coworkers at the gym I used to work at. Um, he would, he told me he's like you need to go on the posture uh, subreddit and like interact with people on there. And I'm like, there's a posture subreddit. And he goes, yeah. And he showed me it, and it's like one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in my life. I was like, no, I want nothing to do with this because it's like no SIBO land. Um, and like when you see things like that, that's like when people say like, oh, what's the harm in doing X, Y, or Z? Like that is the that's the proof. Like just go on the posture subreddit and like listen to all these people talk about their posture. It's like legitimately uh, uh, troubling. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's, just, it's it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like I, I understand that that's like their perspective of like what they've been trained and what they do is to, you know, assess posture. We all learned how to do it in school. Yeah. But I think nowadays the what's out there really talks about how that's not as important as we used to think that it was. Yeah. Well, and these are people like, these are patients, you know, these are like lay people that are on the posture subreddit that are talking about themselves. Yeah. 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 It's not like other clinicians. It's like people who go on the Reddit and they're like, I have a kyphosis, like, how do I fix it? Or, like, you know, my chiropractor told me that, like, my, you know, left sacrum's upslipped, and, like, what, what are people doing for this? And so, like, it's, like, a more of a community of people with poor posture, if that makes any sense, uh, who are trying to help each other out. And they post, like, photos of each It's, like, very strange. Dude, the Internet's a scary place, man. It is. But, like, in there... That one me. In their uh, promotional video, Mike, you remember, because I texted that to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had, like, I don't know where they got their facts from, but it was just, like, did you know that someone with kyphosis is, like, 68% more likely to have cardiovascular disease? Wow. We'll have to, we'll, I'll send you the link after this. It was just, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> there was, there was some stuff that, like, Again, I, I understand that that's where they're coming from, but I wish that it was not done in the way that it was done because I think it, it kind of probably scared some people quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Especially but, when you, like, look at some of the research, even with uh, placebo, nocebo, into, like, cardio health, like, like how, like, uh, stent surgery is essentially like a placebo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you get, like, a stent for, like, a... Uh, like a coronary artery blockage. Um, so if that's a placebo, I guarantee you could nocebo someone until like poor cardiac health. Yeah. Dang. She's just scary. It's a, it's it's scary, and it's also um, to think on the positive side of things, and it can be encouraging what you can, yeah. what the what the, the I guess the body and the mind is capable of too. You know. Yeah, and that's like a weird thing too, because like when I. Um, I have a hard time when I see people talking about like bio versus psychosocial, I have a hard time, um, entering that conversation because I, I honestly don't know if we should call it like bio psychosocial. I honestly just think it's like, 
you're a human and like you can't separate the three <laughs> like <laughs> like you are a product of your biology you are a product of your psychology and you are a product of your environment like if you remove any of those three then you're, you're probably no longer like an interactable human um and so like i i don't i don't really get that conversation a lot of times because i'm like it doesn't like it almost like they're all intertwined you can't separate the two like if you're talking about the psychosocial you're also talking about the bio yeah. and vice versa so is this like the sacket triple venn diagram but like actually everything is supposed to be equal i, I would well in a way it, it, not so much an equal like they're equally interacting but they may not have like an equal standing does that make sense yes because something I'm trying to conceptualize better, especially for my patients, is how um, um, you guys know a lot about like emergent patterns and like emergent theory. No, yeah, not not too much. Okay, so like one of the one of the main points in like Mosley's supercharged book, um, which he really didn't get into at the course, because I don't think he had enough time to like go through this, but that like you as an organism and you as in terms of like your neurology um, is more, uh, I don't want to use the word chaotic, but chaotic versus linear. So we like to think in very linear ways, like almost like stories, because that's how we're taught in school. Like everything has like a beginning, middle and end. And so a lot of people relate to pain and injury as having like a beginning, middle and like some, my back pain is caused by X, and so now I'm in pain, and if we address, like, Y, then it's going to fix my pain kind of thing. Um, but when you look into the neurology and the essential, like, randomness of the body, it's, like, almost impossible for that to happen. It's more of, like, a collective pattern that arises from a lot of different agents that are interacting with each other. And they all have a, they're all, like, on a level playing field. So, like, the example I would use is, like, um, like a row of ducks versus like a flock of birds. So like a row of ducks like knows to follow the duck in front of them and they just kind of get from point A to point B. And if you take the lead duck out of that situation, they're like, they're like going to stop essentially. But a flock of birds is more collective and like one bird, if you remove like one bird from the flock, you have not dismantled the flock. It's still like a flock of birds. And, um, you don't know like how it started and how it ends, but you know when it arises, and you now can see like this flock in front of you. Um, does that make any sense, or am I just talking in circles? <laughs> no, I think that no, makes that, sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and so, and then like, essentially, that's what we see like on the on the neurological scale. So, if someone's presenting to us in pain and they're having this like chronic pain situation, I think more of like, how do you move a flock of birds? Like, how do you get a mass that is interacting with each other almost like randomly to move in a direction? Are you gonna get like overly complex and super specific into figuring out how this is gonna be more positive or are you gonna use more of like a simple approach that can like move the situation into more of a positive direction? Almost like how would you get a crowd of people like out of a space versus like how would you move like a line of people okay so you t your tactics have to change depending that's kind of what you're getting at yeah and so like exactly which is why like i find which is why i find like you can see faults really easily in like these super biomechanical approaches because like it doesn't add up um it just like when you're looking for that specificity of an issue 
it's like you're trying to like pluck one bird out of the flock and to make it like fly better but really you're just you know kind of grabbing a straws yeah. it's the it's like the kind of the interaction between all of them together is that kind of what we're getting at okay exactly yeah yeah so like i eric mira has said this before really well and it's like what you're dealing with is like a very complex organism in front of you and so instead of adding more complexity situation you take a very simple approach and try to make like a broad-based positive movement hmm. okay i can see that so this this kind of reminds me of like just go with me on this but but batman Okay. So, I mean, if you look at, like, a lot of the classic, like, Batmans, like, the Adam West and, like, all the previous ones, it's just, like, that story that you talk about, right? There's, like, Batman, very generic, like, you know, there's a conflict, but he's going to resolve it, and then everybody's, you know, everything's going to be a-okay. Mm-hmm. But then you throw the Heath Ledger Joker into the mix, and you mm-hmm. literally have something that is just pure chaos, and that literally just wants to watch the world burn. And, like, things change, and it gets more complicated because it's not this, like, linear, straightforward, like, you know, Batman and Robin, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze type thing. It's, like, yep. this just crazy, you want to see a magic trick clown man. <laughs> no, it makes sense. And, and it's not, like, it's also not undermining that there could be, like, a linear situation amongst that because like the joker can like burn the money right and him burning the money is like something that has like an a and a b right like he had to do that you could you could tell that story but in the grand scheme of it it has like this random interaction with the entire uh system or the, the entire plot so like you could fall and hit your knee and that's like a very linear process and it hurts now but everything else is going on in terms of you interpreting the situation, your past experience with it, who's around you, supporting you. Uh, do you have any previous injuries? Like so on and so forth. Are you like alone? Are you like in a battle? Like all those things have all these like level interactions at the end of the day, that's, what's going to like value or undervalue your pain. Um, that's, that's the way I see like pain science is like, discovering the complexity of it and then realizing like oh shit like we need to be a little more like simple and um purposeful and how we move like the entire person forward it's kind of like the uh Patton oswald filibuster (laughs) that parks and rex episode has a very linear plot line but then all of a sudden you give Patton oswald 10 minutes to just talk about whatever he wants and what you have is possibly the greatest crossover screenplay that's ever been written. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's right. Oh, my goodness. I think I just want a filibuster. This is, this is a good filibuster. Yeah. But um, that's what's just interesting me now. And um, what's cool about that is, like, um, and that's why I think it's so hard for people to understand this is because like you can't teach it to them linearly. Like you can't sit down and be like, this is your pain. And you like draw it out like a story. And I think that's why like the exercise and the physicalness of therapy comes into play. It's like, they have to like experience it. Like you can't just like tell them and like 
educate them out of pain. You have to like give them the framework and then you're like, all right, here's the framework. Now we're going to work inside of this. Um, and by like me telling you like, okay, pain doesn't equal damage and that, you know, bending over is a necessity in life. And like, you have to pick things off the ground. So let's practice deadlifting. And then in like six weeks go by and you're deadlifting 30 more pounds than you did on week one, you've essentially like, um, stunted that like pain, uh, experience because now you've like actually experienced what it's like to like do that without pain. So how do you, how, how do you go about corralling that herd of cats that is pain? Like, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it there with like, you know, you set, you give the, like a little, you kind of dose that education just enough that, you know, the hurt, yep. hurt does not equal harm thing, that kind of thing. Give some sort of analogy or metaphor, you know, like if you put a fire alarm route or explain that like, you know, if you're in pain, it's easier to, that threshold becomes much easier to continually have the, that threat perception. Um, yep. But like, how do you, I mean, I, I guess there is no true way, but do you have tips for like young clinicians such as ourselves? Like how, how can we, what, what's like one or two things that we can do to make that interaction or that corralling the cat experience better? Yeah, I, I think it's, and um, yeah, I think it's Michael Ray preaches this a lot. So um, it's about the process. Yeah, I think getting them to understand that it's like literally about the process. And like, if we're going to try to make a big move, like a significant move forward in what you're experiencing, like it's, there's going to be wins and losses. But if we can get more wins over time, that's what's going to matter. Um, and it's not going to be very linear and it's not going to be like super organized, but if we can get you from like this point where you're at right now and make and grow your base and make it like more tolerable and wider, like in three or four months, you've made that much progress, but guess what? You just keep doing it. Like this is not going to really end. This is like a continuing thing. I feel like if you set that expectation early, then they're not going to freak out. They're not going to expect rapid change and they're not going to like look for like the super specific answers that are going to be like readily available. Hmm. Does that that answer your question at all? (laughs) I kind of, I mean, without realizing that I can't, you know, they, I don't know. I feel like on Pinterest and other forms of internet, um, I've seen like that chart where it's like where you start end up. And like it's how it's near. There's all sorts of things. I use that like analogy all the time because you know you have people that are coming in for anything, and like you start dosing them with exercise. You're not always sure how their body's going to respond to it. Sometimes they get sore. Sometimes they do something at home, and they have a flare up and they come back. But like that's one that's one kind of like analogy or like internet Pinterest picture that uh, I come back to a lot. I'm just like, hey, yeah, I get, yeah. Like sometimes we have loop de loops. Sometimes we take a couple steps back from you know where we originally were. But like, what's important is constantly keeping that in context and like thinking about where am I today versus where was I two weeks ago or two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can concrete and like just look at what our function is and what your motion looks like and how strong you are compared to where you were when you first came in. Like just because you're having a flare up, it's a like you talk about. It, it's a process. Those those things sometimes can be part of the process, and it's not something to actually to be more of a 
like a stoic, you know, just realize that it's something that maybe partially out of your control and focus on the things that you can control and realize that with time it'll get better. Um, no, it's real. It's like flare ups, not freak outs. You know, you just try to reconceptualize it, reframe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Reframe your pain. <laughs> oh, I see the cool thing about <laughs> see the cool thing about this is like you know like you could go on that philosophical end of it, right, and be like you know what can you control versus what you can't you can't control, and like flare ups are going to happen. But then like when you start diving into the neurobiology, like there's theories that say like some of this maybe probability like how your brain's going to run that pain experience. Um, we'll just call it a program. I don't want to call it a program, but we'll just say like it's a pain experience program. Um, there's a probability attached to that. So like if you do a certain activity or you're participating in certain activities, like there may be a certain probability that you're going to experience pain as based on literal randomness of like neurotransmitters like connecting to each other. And that is pretty much out of your control, which is why flare-ups happen, and you may not have a good reason for why. So you're telling me that deep inside my potentially lizard brain and or hippocampus that there is a small man behind a cardboard trifold uh, who is the dungeon master of my brain rolling a series of dice to, like, determine whether or not I receive – I perceive pain and or threats to my homeostasis. And that when he, he rolls on my next level. when he rolls a natural twenty, I get a crit <laughs> and all of a sudden that sprained ankle or that paper cut becomes way more intense than it should be. Because Yes, and you're speaking Speaking to a fellow DM, by the way. Because normally my armor class is like a 15 or a 16. So like anything below that. And I guess at the end of the day, we're really just trying to improve our patient's armor class, right? The more yeah. resilient that yeah. they become, perhaps perhaps they find some sort of magical armor in a dungeon. Or maybe we add spikes to their armor that you know perhaps gives them thorns or some other benefit um, to their attacking mm -hmm. opponents. But the more that we increase that armor class or increase their resiliency the more of a modifier that DM is going to need to roll that dice. Um, yeah. I like, I like exactly. That. Or give them new ways mm. out, you know, maybe learn a new spell. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> or perhaps just leveling up. Uh, yeah. Oh, back to Zach. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, you can, like, I... I some of that is a little bit above my head, but how they can like essentially um, prove or disprove like how certain uh, neurological patterns can be precise or imprecise and how like maybe people in chronic pain, their neurological patterns are more imprecise and they tend to like run the same pain experience, but based on multiple uh, inputs instead of it being more of like a, you know, like, if only you do this, then you get pain. It's like, no, if you do X, Y, Z, D, A, and G, like you're gonna have pain. So should we be like learning more like probability in math to understand more about like pain science or, or sane science? Sane science, <laughs> yes, not but not pain science. <laughs> no, but I do think not probability, but I do think we all like I I, I don't see, like, a downside of it. I don't know why if people, if we all, like, 
took a step back and were like, all right, we're going to take like, uh, I don't know, four month course in like neurobiology of pain, like how, like that would only augment your confidence and your ability to like see this stuff a little bit better. Like, I, and I might be kind of biased cause that's how it helped me. Cause like prior to reading a lot of this and really diving into it, I, if you stop me as a new grad and been like, is psychosocial factors important? I've been like, well, yeah, duh. But like, I would not have been able to explain like why. And I feel like this gave me a better reason, like why I should like really double down on this stuff. Mm -hmm. So kind of going along that same vein then, um, for anybody that's kind of like interested in kind of pursuing a little bit more like readings and all that kind of stuff, like, do you have, um, certain things that you recommend or, or books or websites or different uh, places that anybody listening to the show could kind of go and, and kind of get more information about this kind of stuff? Yeah. I, uh, I have a couple of things. I, um, I mean, explain pain supercharged, which is like the, it's fairly new. It only came out like a year ago it is like supposed to be for the clinician who wants to understand more about pain. So mm -hmm. it, I don't know if you've read like the first version of explain of explain pain, but that's supposed to be more for like a layperson. Okay. Um, so this is more of like you really want to know the neurology. Here you go. Gotcha. Um, and I, I like it because it has the whole education section too, where it's like, all right, now that you know this, like how do you actually frame it in an educational way? That's going to help people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, that's a good one. So explain pain supercharged by Mosley. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, the Pain Science and Sensibility Podcast is good. Pain Science Sensibility Podcast. Yeah, Pain Science and Sensibility by uh, Sandy Hilton, who I think was just on the Duck Legs Podcast. Ooh, cool! Nice. Couple name drops there. Is that a? Is that kind of like the um, Pain Science Pride and Prejudice Podcast? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. It just that? reminded me of a book. Isn't Sense and Sensibility a book? Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what it is. I see. I got you. <laughs> that went. That went. That, that went over my head. I didn't, I didn't know about that. I don't know. Some. I sometimes I just try things, and it does. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's like in the office where you watch the Office. Oh yeah. Where uh, he's at Phyllis's wedding and he's trying to give the wedding speech, and he says mm -hmm. like, you know, sometimes he'll do like three or four different openings, jokes until something sticks and then I'll just go with it. <laughs> That's kind of how I live my life. Great. It's great. Um, what else? What else? What else? I mean, if you're, if you're a student, I mean, if you're not on the clinical athlete forum, uh, just get on it. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Just join it. And, uh, there's so much discussion on there. Like a lot of what, a lot of like the articles and things that I've dived down into, like started on the forum. And then, I've just been able to kind of like follow the authors and kind of follow the trends and just continually try to stay up to date on what's current in terms of research. Gotcha. Perfect. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely put that stuff in the show notes for anybody that's listening yeah. and listen, or is interested. Um, so yeah. And there might be a top secret project that I'm working on. Yeah. Super secret. Which your buddies, uh, Sam Spinelli and, uh, Bob Cooper. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Comfort. Is that how you do? Comfort. 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 Comfort? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just realizing I've never said his last name before. So I just the, I, the I, I apologize, Bob. The the Bob that's obsessed with Sam's traps. 
the uh, Izzy? I don't know. Oh yeah, we tried to get an internet trap off between Sam and <laughs> Joe Flow Fit. Um, it was going to be trap cut T-shirts, farmers carries for time. Um, but that hasn't Ooh. happened yet, so we got to make that a thing. You should, you should do that. Um, but I think we are running up on time, so Mike. Uh, yeah. Take it away. All right. So, Mike, there is one question that we ask all of our guests at the end of our show. And so we here at the Movement Docs, we believe in always moving forward and all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge in life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? Ooh. Yeah. So I would say never remain complacent. Um, like if you, I feel like if you're in a situation where you think you've discovered everything, you know everything, or you've like experienced everything, you definitely have not. And, uh, just like continually learn and, you know, adapt to the experiences you're having. I don't know. That's awesome. That's true. You don't get better each day, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 1% better every day. (laughs) The slow, long approach. That's the way to be, man. That's that's awesome. And we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show today. Um, if anybody's listening to the show and want, they want to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, probably my Instagram, which if you follow me, it's just going to be like very boring posts about an article or <laughs> my Instagram stories, which is going to be probably like food, beer, or me squatting very lightweight um, <laughs> it's all relative it's all it's, it's all, all relative, relative. Uh, it's just michael v amato that's it's just my gotcha. question michael v. mike i'm gonna need you i need you to, i got some dice in my hand i need you to okay. blow like through the internet and my microphone into my hand and i'm gonna roll these dice real quick what kind of dice are you talking it's about a d20 one d20 one d20 okay I don't know if you heard that, but that's the sound of you rolling a natural 20. Um, And because of that, and because you're just a general badass in in general, general badass? General badass. It's like general general disarray from South Park, but like less disorganized. Um, We would like to give you the title of honorary movement doc. Um, oh, because I'm honored. You should be. Uh, it's a very it's secret, special, exclusive club um, for people that are pretty amazing and kind of like blow our minds with stuff. And so we would like to give you this um, imaginary internet award. Thank you. Um, I, I uh, yeah. So you, you joined the ranks of uh, Dr. Cameron Marshall, uh, Zach, Zach Gabor, and... Steph Allen. Amazing. Hmm. Who, will, who will be my colleague? <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> yeah. So if, if Zach's Captain America, which Avenger are you? Ooh, I got to think about that. Maybe, um, maybe the Hulk. Yes. Because isn't he, he's pretty quiet most of the time, right? And he's just kind of like studying and learning. That's like his thing. You talking about like Bruce Banner yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like bench, and then like every now and then he freaks out. So would you say that you're the credible Hulk? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you like, I don't, freak, I don't freak out that much, but like, you know, every once in a while, you can. But it's because you cite your sources. Exactly. All right. I am free. Of, I am free of bias. I, I, there's not an ounce of bias on there. <laughs> Fair and balance, just like Fox News. Um, all yeah, right. I am not. I am not a product of my environment. Uh, what? <laughs> all righty. So, Mike, go ahead and uh, take it away. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on. We really appreciate you. And uh, thanks Thank again. You. Yeah, yeah. And thanks again for tuning in this week, where we spoke with Michael Amato, PTTPT, CSCS. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Mike, I got a question for you. Maybe. Do you want to know how I got these scars?